Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Well, this morning I'd like to uh, start my sermon by talking about my grandkids. Is that okay with y'all? Everybody okay with me talking about my grandkids? Anybody else want to talk about their grandkids when you got an opportunity to? Uh, I know y'all probably would welcome that opportunity as well. But uh, those you first batch flora folks know I got uh, I have six grandchildren and a seventh one on the way in January, and our our ages range from seventeen all the way down to about two. And uh, and got a new one coming, so uh, we, it's it's uh, pretty crazy around our house. If you follow us on Facebook and things like that, you see that they're uh, uh, at our house quite frequently. We got kids that live in Clinton, and then our youngest son and his wife live over in Gluckstadt. So we're kind of the middle meeting place, and and um, uh, we have a great time. We get together, but uh, I've got in the in the midst of those uh, grandchildren, I have three grandsons. They're they're all at the bottom. And uh, they're all around the age of two. And uh, my oldest son, Reese, and his wife have Campbell. He's the oldest of the three. And just a few months behind him is John Anderson. And then just a few months behind him is uh, Cameron. And did I get that right, Vicky? Because I, I always have to make sure that I, because I, I usually get it wrong somewhere, but she'll let me know. But anyway, so we, um, but we, um, they're, 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 they're all boy. They're just all boy. And uh, if, if you know anything about uh, our life and our family, Rachel and Wesley um, adopted John Anderson. And when he was newborn, newborn adopted him out of uh, Tampa, Florida. And then about the time that um, uh, they started the adoption process, y'all know what happened. She got pregnant. And so they adopted John Anderson, got him, and we adopted John Anderson, got him in, in November. And then Cameron was born in February. So we got three of them, three ankle biters, three boneheads, three knot-headed youngins that are all right there together. And so Vicki keeps John Anderson and Cameron every day. That's that She goes over to Clinton and takes care of them for, uh, for Rachel and Wesley so uh, Rachel can work. And um, But they, they're all boy. They love trucks. They love cars. Uh, Wesley uh, has a Mustang, and, and you know, so he, they know about cars. They... They, they like tractors, they like um, construction equipment, bulldozers, backhoes. I mean, they just love it. Vicky will take them there. There's uh, a construction going on in their neighborhood over in Clinton. And so I show up to every day. She get them out of the house, put them in the strollers, and off they go. And they go and they, they go watch the tractors, and they watch the backhoes, and they watch all, and just they love it. They love it. They love it. And, and they love trains. They love trains trains and so every time they come to pops and vv's house uh you know we live up on first street and so every time they come uh we'd be outside playing front yard backyard whatever and and i hear the train coming and so they just go choo 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 and so in the winter time uh that field across the street from us there uh the the woods on the back of that field there that are right up against the railroad tracks the leaves will be gone you can see the train go through there well in the summertime springtime things like that you can't see it so you get so upset they'll start crying they can't see the train they can hear it they know it's over there they can't see it well let me tell you how let me tell you how wonderful a grandfather i am can i tell you can i just share that a little bit with you so this past week this past week uh vicky's the most awesome grandmother in the world and so but this past week she called me she said i am bringing these kids to flora so uh, she said meet me at the fire station 
Uh, I'm on the fire department. She said they want to see the. I told them we're going to go see the fire truck. So if you know, if y'all on Facebook, y'all saw the pictures. We they came. We went over to the fire station. We played on the fire truck, turned the red lights on, and blew the siren and all that kind of stuff. But about the time we were on the fire truck. We heard the, the train came by. So I did it both. I mean, I was the most awesome grandfather in the world. I got to see the fire truck, and I've had it fully planned out where the train would come by at the same time. And, and it's just, and so they got to see. But listen, y'all, the point that I'm making is they want to see the train. It's not enough to hear it, it's not enough for Pops and Vivi to tell them there is a train. They want to see the train. Now, some of y'all have been here since before dirt was created. And so you know that, and so you're just, you just don't even think, you don't, I mean, it, I'm still getting used to the train coming through in the middle of my sermons. And first time that happened, my first Sunday here, I thought Jesus was coming back. I mean, I just, and so I'm finally getting used to it. That is there to go. And, and, and sure enough, in the eight o'clock service, one came through uh, toward the end of my sermon. And, but you know, y'all have gotten used to it. You don't even think about trains anymore. Man, you may not even hear them anymore. It's just an inconvenience to you. Now you have to wait. Oh, shoot, i got to wait three minutes so the train can go through town and just mess up my whole day. And uh, But, you know, we don't even think about it anymore. It's just old hat. It's just, just, just part of life. We don't even think about it anymore. But my grandsons, when they see that train, they want to see it, and they are filled with... They're just mesmerized. They do. They just stand there. You know, we hold on. They just stand there and look at it. Just can't believe it's wonderful excitement. But I want to ask you this: When you pick this book up and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see Jesus, what happens to you? Are you filled with excitement? Are you filled with joy and wonder and? You know, John Anderson and Cameron, they when they hear the train, they haven't even seen it yet. And they just can't they just are anticipating, can't wait, they just can't wait to see it when they hear it coming. Do you when you walk in this room this morning, that you walk in nearly every Sunday at eleven o'clock and sit in your same seat every Sunday at eleven o'clock? Did you walk in here this morning fully anticipating that you would see Jesus? And that you would experience the work of Christ in your life today. Or is he like the train to you? Just kind of comes through life. You know, just kind of, he's just been there. Don't even think about him anymore. It's kind of, he's kind of old hat. You know, just, there's no anticipation. There's no excitement. There's no thrill of thinking about and seeing Jesus. You know, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to work up emotions and all that kind of stuff. And and yet I will fully say and stand on the fact that emotions are a huge part of worship. There's nothing wrong. In fact, there's a whole lot right about showing emotion when you worship and lifting your hands and singing to the Lord and being filled with joy and expressing joy to the Lord when we Worship the Lord. Sometimes we just go, we've got, some of us have gotten so used to Jesus, he's just like the train going by. He just rumbles by and we don't even, we don't even think about him. We got to see Jesus. We got to see Jesus. So what do others see when they see Jesus? Muslims, when they see Jesus, they see him as an important prophet. They, they say that he was, they believe that he was a real person. 
Esau. And they see him as an important prophet, but they do not see him as God's son. And they, 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 and they, they, they see him as being created by God, and they certainly don't see him dying on a cross for the sins of all mankind. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, when they see Jesus, they see him as Michael, the highest archangel, the highest created being. When Mormons see Jesus, they, they see him as the result of a physical relationship between God the Father and Mary. And they, they see him as a God, a God. But they also believe that you and I can rise to the level of being a God, which puts us on the same level as Jesus. Jewish people see Jesus as a great moral teacher. They will tell you that he was a real person that lived. And as a great moral teacher, some of them, some sects of Jews would see Jesus as a false prophet. Some would even see us as Christians because we worship Jesus. They see us as worshiping an idol. That Jesus is an idol that we worship because he's a false God to them. Oneness Pentecostals see Jesus as the Father and they see Jesus as the Spirit. Do you remember last week? Now, hang on with me here. If you were here last week, if not, go back and watch it or get the podcast. We've got a podcast now that all the sermons are on. You can pick it back up. But I spent a little bit of time last week talking about this belief system called modalism. Real quickly, and I'm going to re-preach that message, but people that believe in modalism see one God who manifests himself three different ways in three different modes, hence the word modalism. For instance, God was God the Father. He manifested himself as God the Father before Jesus came. But then when Jesus was born, God then shifted to the mode of being Jesus the Son, God the Son. And then after Jesus' life and ministry and ascended back to heaven, when the Holy Spirit came, God shifted to the next mode of being God the Spirit. That's a false teaching not supported by Scripture that has to be rejected. But that's how some people see Jesus. So it is, you see how important it is for you and me if we call ourselves, and if we don't just call ourselves, but if we are truly Christ followers, it is so important for us to know who Jesus is. So important. Because, y'all, our entire belief system, our entire body of doctrine, our entire theological system of beliefs is built upon Jesus Christ. We must know who he is. So is he? Is he just an important prophet? Or is he the son of God? And if he is the son of God, was his incarnation the result of a physical relationship between God the Father and Mary? Is he the third person of the Trinity, or is he just another manifestation of the one God? You see, can you even answer those questions? We, we need to know who Jesus is. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, it is not, so listen to this, it is not enough to say, I believe in Jesus. Now let me stop right there before I go on with that quote because so many people would say that. I believe in Jesus. 
I don't want to mess with all that, all that other stuff, all those details, all that other, that's for you guys up in the pulpit and you seminaries, whatever, but you know, but I'm, I, just, I believe in Jesus and that's, that's enough for me. And God bless America. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of it. We just, I believe. So don't bother me with all that other stuff. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says it's not enough just to say I believe in Jesus because he says the New Testament asks you, asks you questions when you say that. The New Testament asks you, then what do you believe about him? Is he man only? Is he God only? Did he really come in the flesh or did he not? What did he do? What is the meaning of his death? I mean, do we even think about that kind of stuff or do we just kind of, we just kind of resign ourselves to just the train going by? I believe in Jesus. Now look, I want you to believe in Jesus because apart from that, you'll bust hell wide open. I want you to believe in Jesus. I call out to you, cry out to you. Believe in the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. But what do you believe about him? When you see him, what do you believe? So listen to what some other people believe in. Now, you will recognize some of these, these uh, names, a little different between Muslims and Mormons to the folks I'm going to quote now. Billy Graham said, Who art thou, Lord? Jesus Christ, are you who they say you are? This is the question that every one of you today are going to have to answer. Who is Jesus, the Son of the living God? I cannot prove it scientifically, but I can prove it by the lives He transforms every day. I can prove it because in my heart, I don't say I think or I hope. I say I know. Dr. Adrian Rogers says, Jesus Christ alone is the answer to your sin and your heart's need. No one else walked out of that grave or has the words of eternal life. You can know and be sure that He is the Son of God. John Piper says, when God the Father exists, the Son exists. They are co-eternal. The Father did not exist and then say, I think I shall bring, us, bring into being a Son. That is not the way it happened. He, Jesus is eternally begotten, eternally streaming out. The Son of God is God. He is not by nature another being. David Jeremiah said, Jesus, he is altogether lovely, the lily of the valley, the eternal God made flesh. More books have been written about him, more songs penned to honor him, and more lives transformed by him than by any other name in human history. He has been worshipped from the day he was born to the present moment, and more people are following him now than ever before. He is the Nazarene carpenter, the Jewish Messiah, the risen Savior, and the eternal King. Sometimes an old song comes to mind that puts it like this, Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and he's just the same as his holy name. Charles Spurgeon says, In the front of all must ever stand Jesus Christ himself, the personal, living, loving Jesus. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ for us, our full redemption. Christ with us, our God and our solace. And Christ above us, 
pleading and preparing our place in heaven. Jesus Christ himself is our captain, our armor, our strength, and our victory. We inscribe his name upon our banner, for it is hell's terror, heaven's delight, and earth's hope. And then Dr. Tony Evans, in his wonderful way, says Jesus could be thirsty because he was fully human, but he could walk on water because he was fully God. That's Jesus. So my friends, I want to ask you as we continue this sermon series, keep your eyes on Jesus. We're going to look at the Gospel of John to help us get a clear biblical picture of who Jesus truly is and how we need to respond to him. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 46 is our passage for today. Hope you got your Bible with you. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible every week as we study God's Word together. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 46. Would you stand, please, as we read these verses? The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, would you help us now to see Jesus and as your Holy Spirit works in us to respond in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. So as you're studying your Bible each day, and I hope you do, you read your Bible and you think about, you know, what does this mean? How do I study the Word of God? There are some questions that you can ask yourself and ask of the Scripture as you're reading that will kind of help you get a, a picture of what's going on here. A lot of different ways you can do this. There's different questions that you can ask and things like that. But here's some that are very helpful as you study the Word, and maybe these will be helpful to you if you want to jot them down and use them in your own personal Bible study. And these are words, uh, questions that you would probably expect. Maybe you already used them. First question is who? Who? When you read this passage of Scripture, who's in this passage of Scripture? Who are we talking about? Who are the players here? Who are the characters, the folks in this? Well, obviously, we're talking about Jesus and then Philip and Nathaniel. Now, we'll talk about Jesus, and that's what we're doing here. But let's, let's get a quick uh, little uh, synopsis of who Philip and Nathaniel are. Both of them, uh, two of the original 12 disciples that Jesus called to follow him, Philip was mentioned several times in the Gospels, different places, most of the time in the Gospel of John, and then one time over in the, Gospel, in the book of Acts. But some places that Philip was mentioned, and you'll remember some of these, uh, in, Philip, in John chapter 12, uh, there were some Gentiles who came to him, to Philip, and asked him to introduce them to Jesus. Now, I just got to say something about that. that. We don't know much else. We don't know much about really a whole, most of the disciples. But there's some, you just got to think. I mean, what was it about Philip that caused these folks to come to him and say, would you, would you introduce us to Jesus? I mean, there must have been something about him. Maybe there was just something about his personality, how God used his personality or his work relationships or whatever. But something about him caused these people that did not know Jesus to come and say, would you introduce us to Jesus? Man, I want to be like that. <laughs> I want to be that kind of person. That somebody comes and says, would you introduce me to Jesus? I had a lady do that one time. I think I've told you this. When I was at First Baptist Jackson, I was on staff down there, and 
I was pumping gas there on High Street one cold, cold winter day and pumping gas. I was just trying to hurry and get the gas pumped. And as I was standing, this lady just kind of, she almost felt like she almost just materialized, but she walked up and I turned and looked at her and she said, excuse me, sir, can I ask you a question? And I said, well, sure. And she said, can you tell me how to be saved? <laughs> I mean, that, that don't happen often. I mean, that, that was, that was, and so uh, it was cool. I got to lead that lady to Christ right there in freezing cold on high street and, and off she walked. And, and, uh, but anyway, I, you know, something about Philip it caused him to be the kind of person would you introduce us to Jesus? He was also in John chapter 6 when the feeding of the 5,000, he was the one that went to Jesus and said, Jesus, we only got this much money. You got, you know, if we're going to feed all these people, we only got this much money. And it, I mean, he and the disciples didn't know that Jesus was about to blow their minds with this amazing miracle. Um, and then at the Last Supper, uh, Philip asked Jesus to show them the Father. And that's when Jesus responded to him, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. And uh, then in the upper room, at Acts chapter 1, uh, Philip was in the upper room praying before uh, the Holy Spirit came back after the ascension of Jesus, before the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, Philip was there with some of the other apostles praying there. So that's Philip. And then Nathaniel, he's also known as, when you look at a list of the, the original disciples, if you look and, and uh, you would see, maybe see the name Bartholomew, he and Nathaniel are the same guy. That's the, 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 he's, that's the same person. Nathaniel, and sometimes known as Bartholomew, or Bartholomew, sometimes known as Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was one of the first to express belief in Jesus. But it's interesting, he, he didn't express it until he showed his skepticism. So can I say something to you? If you're skeptical today, you're in a good place. I mean, Jesus welcomed skeptics. He welcomed people that had questions. He welcomed people that said, you know, I don't know, I don't know about all this. That's okay. That's okay. And, and because, I mean, you, you heard what, what uh, you know, Nathaniel said to, uh, to Philip Verse 46, he said, man, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, that you know, that's kind of like me saying, man, can anything good come out of Oxford? I'm sorry, Mark. I'm sorry, Mark. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. We didn't play yesterday. So, I, you know, I got to, you know, so we did pretty good yesterday. Y'all did too, by the way. So I, I did give you a little, a little prop there. But, but, you know, but he did. He showed some, he showed some, uh, some skepticism, and yet he still responded with faith. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. So that's the who. Then let's hurry through these. And then what? Who and what? What's happening? What's going on here? Well, Jesus is calling some of his first disciples. If you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you put them all together, you see that there was about six of them that were called here in this first, these first chapters. You had Andrew and Simon. Then you remember James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Jesus called them as they were fishing, and they left their nets and their boat and their father Zebedee standing there, and off they went to follow Jesus. And then we have Philip and Nathaniel. And so Jesus is beginning to establish who he is as he begins his earthly ministry. That's the what, the when, when did this happen? Well, obviously this was early in Jesus's ministry. Jesus' ministry lasted, earthly ministry lasted about three years from about the age 30 to 33. So this has been the very beginning of his ministry. He's already been uh, uh, baptized by John the Baptist. Then after his baptism, remember the, the uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, tell us about his, his um, uh, temptation in the wilderness. And then he came out of that and he began to preach and then he began to uh, call his first disciples. So this, the when is early in Jesus's ministry. Where is this happening? Who, what, when, where? Uh, is, 
somewhere around the Sea of Galilee, really is kind of all we know there. But we know it, that's where it was because he was calling these guys to follow him right out of their fishing boats um, there around the Sea of Galilee. I've been to the Sea of Galilee. It's really, really pretty cool. Um, why? Who, what, where, why? Why is this included in John's gospel? Why did John include this account of Philip and Nathaniel and Jesus? Well, remember, you got to get the big picture. You remember last week we talked about John's reason for writing his gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke had their reasons as the synoptic gospels, but then John's reason, John 20, 31, John says, I write these things to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So if that's John's overarching reason for writing his gospel, then obviously what Jesus is doing, what he's what John's doing here is beginning to establish this is who he is. We're going to find out as we look and see who Jesus, we'll begin to see John saying and showing and teaching Jesus is this, Jesus is this, Jesus is this, so that folks can believe and be and be saved. And then the last question is a question, just staying with the W questions there, who, what, when, where, why, and wherefore. We don't use that word a lot, but it's just kind of a word that means, so what does this mean for me? It's that so what question that, that you ask when somebody's preaching. So what? what so what does this apply? How does this apply to my life in, in October of 2021? Well, that's hopefully what we'll get to in this sermon as we as we continue forward. And so in, here we go in verse 46, the last three words of verse 46, that little statement that, that Philip made uh, uh, to Nathaniel, come and see. <laughs> I just love that. Come and see. And so as we do that this morning, even as we today, we come together to see Jesus. And what do we see? Well, if you look at the scriptures now, we see these things. If you'll back up to uh, verse 29, John 1, 29, it says the next day he, that's John the Baptist. So the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you drop down to verse 36, and he says the same thing. He looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Y'all, that statement about who Jesus is should resonate in every one of our hearts because that is a foundational truth to our doctrine and our theology. This statement by John the Baptist, it tells us of the great sacrifice that was necessary to pay for our sins and to reconcile us to God. And it wasn't just a great sacrifice. It was the greatest sacrifice. Amen, church? It was the greatest sacrifice. And these folks would have read that and they would have thought back to Isaiah 53. I've told every the other two services I tell you to sometime this week, get your Bible and go to Isaiah 53 and read the 53rd chapter of Isaiah again. It's probably my favorite chapter in the entire Old Testament. Because it, is, it talks about the suffering servant. And as you read it, you go, this is Jesus. 700 years before Jesus showed up, Isaiah, <clears throat> Isaiah was writing and saying, this one would come. 
and He would be the lamb that was led to the slaughter. He would take the sins of the people upon Him. By His stripes we are healed. Uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all, and that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The people would have thought about the children of Israel in captivity and under Pharaoh's oppressive hand and Moses going and trying to set them free as God sent him. And God finally saying to Moses, the final plague is coming, the the death angel is going to come. And so go tell my people to kill a lamb and to spread the blood on the doorposts and the angel will pass over and death will not come to those homes. And then you look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. When the blood of Christ is applied to our lives, we give our lives to Jesus, we don't, we won't die. We won't die. But we'll have eternal life. Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb chosen by God, Romans 3.25, the sacrificial lamb, the one in whom God is well pleased, God the Father, well pleased in him. So come and see, and you'll see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Come and see. In verse 41, you see the Messiah. Look at verse 41. Come and see. You see that, uh, look at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first, I love that. I have the word first circled in my Bible. The first thing he did was he found his own brother Simon and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. (laughs) The first, first thing that Andrew did when he realized who Jesus was, he went and found his brother Peter and said, look, we found him. We found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. We have found the anointed one. That's what Christ means, the anointed one, the chosen one, the one about whom all of the Old Testament prophets prophesied that the Old Testament points to and says he's coming. He's here. The Messiah is here. We found him. Come and see and you'll find the Lamb of God. You'll find the Messiah. Verse 49, you'll find the Son of God. Come and see the Son of God. The Son of God. So Nathaniel. Nathaniel, what good can come out of Nazareth? Philip says, you come and see. And so Nathaniel and Jesus had this conversation that I don't have time to talk about, but just suffice it to say, Jesus rocked his world. And in verse 49, probably trembling, maybe tears running down his face, maybe his voice quivering, Nathaniel looked and said, Rabbi, You are the Son of God. You're the Son of God. You are the second person of the Trinity. He didn't know all these words, but that's what he's saying. You're the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. You are. You are. He he is. He was. He has always been and always will be the eternal Son of God. Come and see, and you'll see the Son of God. And then uh, Nathaniel said in verse 49 again, you are the king 
of Israel. You're not a political king. You didn't come and go set up residence in the palace and sit up on a big throne and let people feed him grapes and fan him and stuff like that. That wasn't the king that he was. He came because he was the king, the king, the, the ruler, the long-awaited Messiah that the Jewish people had been looking for. And Jesus said, I came to my own, and yet my own did not even receive me. And yet Nathaniel did. He said, you're the king. You're the ruler. It reminds me of Charles Wesley's great hymn. I guess we call it a Christmas carol because we normally sing it at Christmas time. Most folks in, like, in, this, in this service like traditional hymns and stuff like that. Well, this one was written in 1744, so I ought to make some brandy points with y'all when I quote this one from 1744 where Charles Wesley says in the second verse, Come thou long expected Jesus, that wonderful hymn in the second verse. He says, born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. But by thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Come and see Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Son of God, the long-awaited King of Israel. And the application of this message is, as we come and see Jesus more clearly, we will follow Him more fully, because that's why we want to see Jesus. We don't want to just learn stuff about Him, learn facts about Him, though those things are important. But we want to learn about Him so we can follow Him, and so we will follow Him. And so what does that look like? As we come and see today, what's the application? So what? Philip, Nathaniel, Jesus, so what? As we come and see, as Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see. As we come and see, we will be challenged to do these things. Number one, to be obedient and follow Jesus. To be obedient and follow Jesus. The more we learn about Jesus, the more we see him in the Gospels, and specifically for this sermon series in the Gospel of John, the more we see him, the more the Holy Spirit will grow the desire in us to obey Jesus and to follow him. That's why I'm so excited about this sermon series. I told you last week, I'm just, I'm telling you, I fully expect, I fully believe that at the end of seven weeks, I will not be the same. I will not be the same. There is no way that I will be the same after seven weeks of looking at Jesus intensely. There will be no way that I can be the same after that. As the Holy Spirit takes the truth of God's Word and the truth of who Jesus is, and pours it into my life, and then pours it into your life, there's no way that we will be the same. There's no way that this church will ever be the same. As we see Jesus. Andrew, Simon Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, James, John, these first guys, when they saw Jesus and they realized who he was and they said, yes, we will follow you, you know they were never the same because we got the New Testament that tells us that. They were never the same. Every one of them, with the exception of Judas, who we know betrayed Jesus, but every one of the apostles died a martyr's death, with the exception of John, who just was bold in all and exiled to the island of Patmos. They were never the same. 
once they saw who Jesus was and committed their lives to him. So what does that look like? What does the obedient life of a Christ follower look like? A Christ follower, an obedient life of a Christ follower is someone who knows that the Christian life is so much more than saying a prayer and being baptized. Now let me stop right there and tell you, I believe you better pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart and to be saved and give your life to Christ. And And I believe that you should follow in believer's baptism by immersion because that's how Jesus was baptized. And we want to follow his example. So I'm saying that those two things are very important. There's some folks that say, I don't believe in that sinner's prayer. Let me tell you something. You a sinner and you pray to Jesus to pray to save you, that makes that a sinner's prayer. And if you need Christ, then call out to him and be saved according to Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sounds like that's a prayer to me. And then we follow in believers' baptism. But it does not stop there. Because first, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means you're saying, Jesus, I want you to be the boss of my life. That means, Jesus, you call the shots in my life, Jesus. That means, Jesus, you're the one who controls my marriage. You're the one who tells me how to spend my money. You're the one that controls how I run my business. You're the one who runs this church. You're the one who tells me how to raise my kids. Because you're the boss, you're the Lord, you're the master, and I submit to you. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. So much more than praying a prayer and getting wet. And a Christ follower is is someone who is constantly putting off sin and putting on the Lord Jesus. Putting off sin and putting on the Lord Jesus. We know we'll never live a perfect life, but the Christ follower will constantly. Colossians chapter 3, Paul Paul wrote some incredible words about this. You can go read it this week sometime. Colossians chapter 3, Paul said, put this stuff off, man. Put to death those things that belong to your earthly nature. Put that junk out of your life. Keep, and it's a constant thing. It's not just one time, one and done. It's constantly. Constantly fighting against your sinful nature. Constantly fighting against temptation and sin. Put it off, put it off, put it off. But he doesn't leave us there. He flips over and says, you put it off, but then you put this on. And I like to call them the garments of grace. You put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness and love and peace and thankfulness. It's an everyday thing. You know, we talked about the armor of God. Every day, pray on the armor of God. God, I pray, Lord, I put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. I take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, and I pray in the Spirit. At the same time, God, I put on the garments of grace today. Lord, I want these to be evident in my life. God, I put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness and love and peace and thankfulness. I want to live a thankful life. A, a Christ follower is going to continually push the sin, push the sin off and, and, and put on, put on the Lord Jesus. And then a Christ follower is someone who has an outward focus to their life. You want to know, you want to know the quickest way to kill a church? Quit looking outward. Quickest way for a church to just dry up is quit looking outward and keep looking on the inside. Keep, keep going, what's in it for me? You better take care of me. You better meet my needs. You better meet my preferences. 
It's about my wants. It's about my needs. It's about my desires. Listen, let me tell you something, my friend. When you gave your life to Christ, the Word of God says you crucify yourself. Yourself don't matter anymore. Can I get an amen? Are y'all scared to say amen to that one? You don't matter anymore. Jesus is the only one that matters now. Amen? It's only Him. So it doesn't matter. My needs don't matter. My preferences don't matter. My wants, my desires don't matter. It's about looking outward now because the people out there are the ones who are lost. The people out there are the ones that are broken. The people out there are the ones that are needy. The people out there are the ones that are beaten down. The people out there are the ones that are downtrodden and downcast and hurting and lost and addicted and in trouble. Who did Jesus go to? I dare you to take the Scriptures and show me where he took his eyes off lost, broken, hurting people. And a Christ follower has an outward focus. doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what I want. It's what we need to do to reach them out there. And a church that does that, man, you talk about growing pains. We already got growing pains, but you talk about growing pains. We get serious about making much of Jesus out there. We won't be able to hold the people that'll come. But guess what? They ain't gonna look like us. They ain't gonna smell like us. They ain't gonna act like us. And that's why a lot of times we say, "That's why I don't want to do that." Because when they come up in here, they start messing stuff up. They start messing up my way of wanting to do things. They start messing up my way of wanting to do things. The true Christ follower doesn't care about that stuff. True Christ Father says, I, I, a true Christ Father is like John, John the Baptist. John 3.30, my life verse. John 3.30, where John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. God, I just want, Jesus, you just be increasing in my life. Get John out of the way and let it be you. And that's what John the Baptist said. And that's what I want to live. And that's how, I want, that's how we must, as a Christ follower, live our lives. When we see Jesus, that's what will happen. So a Christ follower will be obedient and follow Jesus. Number two, a Christ follower will know who Jesus is so you can tell others. Know who Jesus is so you can tell others. Every person in this chapter, in chapter 1 that we've looked at, every person, John the Baptist, uh, 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 Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, every one of them had some kind of knowledge of Jesus, and they spoke it. Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, uh, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one that all the prophets talked about. You're, you're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. They all had some knowledge of Jesus that when they had the opportunity to speak about him, they had, they had something to say. So the question then is, based on your knowledge of Christ right now, what will you say when, not if, you have the opportunity to speak about Jesus? What will you be able to tell somebody about him? Well, I believe in him. That's, that, is, that is so good and so necessary. But what can you say about him? What can you tell others about him? Because it's all about him. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that. He said, Christianity is Christ himself. So you've got to be able to say something when somebody responds to you and says, well, you've got to be a good person to be saved. All right, how do you respond to that? Well, you know, you've got to believe in God. 
How are you going to respond to that one? What's it take to be saved? Oh, you got to believe in God. You ready to respond to that? Unless you think that that's the correct answer. Or when somebody says to you, you know, you, you got to work real hard or you'll lose your salvation. How are you going to respond to that? You better make sure that you're not sinning too much. If you sin too much, you'll lose your salvation. Are you, are you ready to respond to that? That's why we got to see Jesus and know about Him so we can know who He is and be able to tell others about Him. I'm not asking you to be a seminary professor. I'm just asking you and me to be students of the Word of God and students of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. The Greek word for disciple means student. And so that's why, that's what a Christ follower does. A Christ follower knows, is striving to know more and more about Jesus so we can tell others about Him. And then finally, a Christ follower invites others to come and see. <laughs> I love that. Christ followers invite. Man, we need some Phillips in this house, and we need some Andrews in this house. We need some Phillips and some Andrews. Because when you look at Philip, his first recorded act as a disciple was to, listen, to go and find his friend Nathaniel and say, come and see Jesus. Philip, made, listen, do you catch the intentionality of that? He didn't just hope that Nathaniel happened to walk by. He said, I have met Jesus. I'm going now. I got to go. Where is, I got to go find Nathaniel and get to him before it's too late to get him to say, come and see him. Hey, come and see Jesus. Go find. And then Andrew, his first response as a disciple was to bring his brother Peter. So go find Tell him about Jesus and then bring him. Go, find, tell, bring. Go, find, tell, bring. That's how we invite others to come and see this Jesus that we know and we love. And we worship and we serve and we follow. Y'all know this uh, just yesterday, our Tri County girls softball team won the state championship. Everybody aware of that? Everybody aware of that they won the state championship yesterday? Incredible moment. Uh, just awesome. So, so incredible. So, this, this past week, um, Monday of this past week, they asked me to come over. Uh, they were having breakfast before they went to McGee to play down there to win so they could be in the championship series. And so they asked me to come over and just say a word to the girls before they hit the road. They were having breakfast. So I ran over there early uh, uh, Monday morning about 8, 8 o'clock, 8.30, and just gave them a word. I gave The word I gave them was goal, goal. you got to have a goal. So your goal today is to go down to McGee and whoop them girls and come back over and we'll just win that game and, and get and, and that's, that's your goal. You know, the bigger goal is we're going to win the state championship, obviously, but you got one goal right now. You can't do that until you accomplish this goal. So you got a goal. But I said, but then I said, there's a bigger goal from Hebrews chapter 12 that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. So beyond softball, you keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the goal of your life. So they went to McGee and they won. So that was cool. So they came back. So Wednesday was our, our church barbecue day, and, and uh, they were playing down in Raymond, first game against Clinton Christian. They said, but John, will you come over and say a word to them before they get us? I went over there about 3 o'clock, 
Wednesday afternoon, I met the girls and said, I looked at the, the word for today is conquer. <laughs> so go down there and conquer them girls from Chris, Clinton Christian. Go conquer that team. And they did. I mean, 12 to 1, they tore the bleachers up. I mean, it was, it was an incredible. I got down there after the, uh, uh, after I left uh, the barbecue and left my plate on the table, didn't even clean my plate up, did I, Peggy? Shame on me. So anyway, but uh, but uh, thankfully we have a good maid service at our church, and and so. Um, but I went down there, man. They just destroyed them, twelve to one. But I told them, but conquer. But there's a bigger word, conquer. Romans eight thirty seven says we're more than conquerors. So beyond softball, you live your life as a conqueror for Jesus Christ. So they went and won that game. So then <laughs> Saturday morning, April Grantham texted me and said, Well, John, you got to come give them another word Saturday morning. So she didn't know I was going to Cleveland Friday for a high school reunion. And so went up there and left Cleveland early uh, Saturday morning, got back down here at 8 o'clock to give them a, a quick word. And uh, saw a beautiful sunrise on the way down here from Cleveland. So the word that I gave them Saturday morning was now. Now. We got this far, and now it's time. Go win this thing. Win the, win the first. Don't play game three. Win this next game. Get it over with. Win this thing. Win this championship. I said, but there's a bigger thing, a bigger reason for the word now, because the word of God says now is the day of salvation. Now. That's the word I want to leave you with. Now. Now is the time for us to see Jesus. And to do what Philip and Nathaniel did. To go and to find and to tell and to bring them to Jesus. Now, as we see Jesus, let's pray together. Father, would you help us now, Lord, to respond to you as you speak to us, as you move in our hearts and lives, God, as you show us who Jesus is. Help us, Lord, to respond in obedience. In his name I pray. Amen.